Sorry for the delay on this one, folks. It's been a hectic fall for us, but we're back on our bi-weekly schedule, so you can expect our next episode to go up on December 15th. We start with a group of artists from all over the world. They're embarking on a mission. To experience what it's like for a brief time to be immersed in a natural system. There's kind of an analogy I was playing with. I had a teacher that made us push all the toothpaste out of a container and then try to put the toothpaste back into the container just to kind of teach us the lesson that sometimes you can't undo what you've done. So I played with that idea. I went to the wood pile. I took string and I tried to sew the bark kind of in a circle around back together and then fill it with logs. But again, it's like an analogy that we can't kind of undo what we did. This place is why I go to work every day. You know, this place is in places like it and just wanting to reconnect people to nature. You'll hear more from that last voice later on. He's a scientist who worked with the artists you heard in their University of Saskatchewan course. The course and the film that captures their work is called Becoming Water. The area they are in is called the Saskatchewan River Delta. The Delta has been featured in National Geographic. Researchers from all over the world have been studying its water for decades. In this episode, we'll hear from a social system scientist and a man whose family has deep roots along the Delta's waters. They'll tell us how their worlds have come together. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's 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 let's, let's, let's talk, 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 talk 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 about about, about, about water. 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 water 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 water. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Let's Talk About Water, a podcast by the Global Institute for Water Security. I'm your host, Jay Familietti. Intro music. <laughs> Gary Carrier is a Cree man from Cumberland House. He knows the Saskatchewan River Delta like the back of his hand. We also have Graham Strickert. He's an assistant professor in the School of Environment and Sustainability at the University of Saskatchewan. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. What brought you two together? I believe uh, how it started was a documentary that was done about the Saskatchewan River Delta and Graham and some other folks in a university here seen that documentary and then became interested in the place and that's how we came together. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the documentary? Yeah, so we I was working um, at the Global Institute for Water Security trying to understand people's viewpoints on this new word, water security, which had kind of come onto the scene. And they wanted to know how do people think about this new word? What does it mean to them? And how does, a, how does their understanding of what water security is affect their priorities? Um, so we were going all the way from the Rocky Mountains to Lake Winnipeg and talking with stakeholders across the prairies. And we went to Cumberland House, um, initially thinking that we were going there to study a flood that had happened in 2011. Um, I met with Gary. Uh, he invited us to come to the community. And when we were there, we started hearing his story about the Saskatchewan River Delta and realizing that there's a much bigger story going on here than just the 2011 flood. Um, after that initial meeting, Gary gave me a documentary that he had helped create um, called the Saskatchewan River Delta. I brought that documentary back to the University of Saskatchewan, showed it to a few colleagues, um, 
And it really kind of galvanized a major response in terms of getting a research program to focus on the Saskatchewan River mm. Delta. Yeah, that's amazing. I've been very impressed by the scope of, of what you guys have been able to, to do together. But Gary, tell us about the Delta. What makes it so special? Well, so first of all, I guess it's the, like it's the largest inland delta in North America. A lot of migratory birds depend on that place eh, to come and find it there and come and repopulate in the delta. And uh, I guess eh, the, the birds, the wildlife in the delta are in jeopardy and we need to, to try and do something to help out the wildlife in the delta because our people lived off that land for many, many decades. Yeah, they can, uh, and they knew the decline was happening here. Yeah, they can, all the, all the wildlife, yeah, like what we tried to try to bring awareness, yeah, but it didn't carry no weight yeah, because we don't have no, no degrees in anything. We're just trappers, yeah, simple, simple people that live off the land and, but know what's going on in the land. So there's, there's two things I want to ask you about. One is the importance of the Delta um, to uh, to Cumberland House, to the people there, and then the impacts. What sort of things are you, you seeing? So uh, impacts, I guess, it like our li- our lifestyle, our livelihood. It like we're trappers and fishermen, and and and, and uh, a lot of people will never understand what we have lost. It like uh, our culture. It like it's, uh, it's some some people never understand that, but we owe it to the Delta to, to, to try and be the voice for the wildlife that are in jeopardy today. So it sounds like, uh, and maybe some of our listeners don't know this, but it, it, the Delta is really part, it's sort of interwoven into the fi- into the fiber of your of your community, right? It affects yeah, your culture. Yeah. It affects your your livelihood. It's it's you know it's it's your place. And it must be kind of frustrating and maybe saddening to see some of the change that you're seeing. Definitely, definitely. See, like see, through the study that uh, different scientists from different parts of the world the studies that they've done, like we come to realize that the a purpose of a river is to carry nutrients and to replenish wetlands. And then when, when we put dams on the river, we're cutting off the nutrients because you're slowing down the turbulence on the river and then when you do that when you and it comes to a big reservoir, it starts all that sediment, all the nutrients start settling in that reservoir. And then when they release water, it's coming Without nutrients. So, what dams are we talking about? There's three dams that are, that are impacting uh, in Saskatchewan. Three dams in Saskatchewan that's impacting that delta. But I know there's other dams in Alberta that that come along the Saskatchewan River. And I use that analogy to like your artery as a main artery, and then from the heart you have your your other arteries that that, that pumps the blood through your body. And I see. The delta like that, because, see, the main river is the main artery, and then we have these small tributaries that lead to these wetlands. But what's happening is, like, the big river is cutting in the bottom of the river, and these tributaries can't do the same. So it's leaving all the the smaller tributaries high and dry. Right. We're going to take a little breather here. We have a bit of a theme going this episode about what water means to people like Gary and Graham. So we decided to go out and ask people in our little neck of Canada, what does water mean to you? 
Water matters to me because it helps me get ready in the morning and keeps me hydrated. Yeah. <laughs> Very to the point. Water matters to me because it is essential for life. Uh, everything that we do as living organisms requires water. Uh, we, we drink it, it grows our food. Uh, water matters to me because it is an, an integral part of our lives and everything we do. Our bodies are made up of it. So if the water disappears, what we have nowhere to really go. Water matters to me because like I drink water every day and like I have to take showers and brush my teeth. It's, it's true. That's when most of us think about water. You're listening to Let's Talk About Water, a podcast about the future of water and why you should care. It's a presentation of the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan and the Walrus Lab. To find out more, check us out on Twitter and Instagram. On both platforms, just type in Let's Talk Water. We'll get back to the interview with Gary Carrier and Graham Strickard in a moment. But before that, I want to play a bit more of what they had to say in that documentary. It's called Becoming Water. You know, we all benefit from the power that comes from this dam. It's a pretty big major power producer in Saskatchewan, but it's certainly not without its consequences. I've seen the wealth of animals in this delta. We rarely see a moose in this area now. And same thing with the muskrats. Rare sight in this, in this day and age. The nature of the work that I do is on this fine line between empirical understanding and science and advocacy. So, Graham, I wanted to turn to you and talk about what are some of the physical things that, what sort of things are, are you seeing? Well, the Saskatchewan River Delta is kind of a signal of all the things that are happening upstream. And probably the biggest impact is the change in the seasonality of flows. So if you imagine the delta, um, it's a really large, pretty flat landscape. It's 10,000 square kilometers, so it's really quite big. There's about five tributaries feeding into it, but mainly the Saskatchewan River. So most of the water that flows in there actually originates in the Rocky Mountains. Um, but with all the structures that have been put on the river, the seasonality of flows is almost completely reversed from what it naturally was. And if you think about all the uh, animals in the delta, all the insects, uh, the fish, the birds, the mammals, they're all adapted to a flow regime that happened at certain times of the year where the water would slowly rise up in the spring and start to draw back down at the end of the fall. And then there would be very, very little flows in the winter. Um, and then the water would come back up again in the following spring. Now what we have as a result of the control of the flows of the river is almost the exact opposite where you have lower flows in the spring because they're controlling water. Um, much higher flows in the winter, and sometimes that means water going over top of the ice, which is really bad for the animals that live at the sort of water-ice interface, like muskrats and beavers and, and other shore ma mammals. Um, and then you also have an impact on the wetlands in the area. So if you imagine a delta, it's, there's a main river channel, like Gary said, the sort of main artery, um, but then there's a whole bunch of smaller channels, and those smaller channels connect a series of wetlands, a big wetland complex really that are kind of ponds. And if the fresh water doesn't flush those wetlands, then they don't get new oxygen and they don't get new nutrients. And so the oxygen goes down, the ammonia goes up, and those two things in particular are really bad for life. Um, and that's what's happening in the Delta. And so the biological productivity of the Delta has collapsed. And the people that have lived there have watched this decline um, pretty 
significantly since about the 1960s when the, most of the structures were built on the river. And so that decline, um, in particular around muskrats, which are really important species to uh, the people of Cumberland House um, and the other First Nation communities and Métis communities around the Delta. Uh, Gary, your daughter is also an advocate for the Delta, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And what's her, Nadina, what's her name? Nadina, yeah, okay. Nadina. She works for the band. She works for the band, and she, she's... Uh, She's pushing hard to, to get the word out there that there is such a place out there and that needs help, eh? like the, meaning the Delta. And then and that's how she got really, really involved. And the more she had to do it, the more it hit her heart. And has, now today, I don't think you need to pay her to do this. Eh? She, she'll do it because she after she got educated more and seeing it more, and, and, and while well, she's been in a in the Delta all her life, but I guess when you eat, reach a certain age, you start thinking differently yeah. like, yeah. and seeing things sure. different, yeah, right. and that's what happened with her. Yeah? No, that's I mean, what... that's part of growth yeah. and becoming yeah. your own yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, it's, I think it's great, and yeah. I think, you know, my kids for the longest time wanted to do things different, like, oh, I don't want to be like an earth scientist yeah. like yeah. that, yeah. but my daughter, the reason I asked is my daughter ended up, she's doing exactly what I'm doing. So <laughs> she's in graduate school yeah. now, yeah. and she's doing, you know, I work with satellites and uh, yeah. hydrologists, and oh, she's wow. doing the same thing. Oh, wow. uh, so I'm really, I mean, I'm proud of both of my kids, but yeah, yeah. You know, glad to know that both of us have this, yeah, right? Yeah, our, daughter, yeah, our, yeah. our daughters are carrying on. Yeah. And I didn't never try and force to, to try and make mold them to who they yeah. should be. No, never, no, no, me never, either. Eh? No, 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 so it's a really pleasant yeah, surprise. And I, I've always said eh, that there'll be a time that you will find the thing that you really like doing yeah. and it's not going yeah. to feel like work. You're just yeah, going right. to love that's it, eh? Yeah, that's you're going to love it. Once it feels like work, it's yeah. all over, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're going to love it and yeah. you're just going to look forward to go um, do it every day. You know, I often wonder about I want to hear from, from both of you on, on this. I don't understand why more people don't know about the Saskatchewan River Delta given how big it is among the biggest in the world, and given its importance uh, to your culture and to your people, and given its decline. Why do more people not know about this? I didn't know about it till I came here. None of us realized, I don't think, it till these scientists uh, from different parts of the world, they like by accident, uh, by accident, they found the Delta too. Like we knew about the Delta, but we didn't know the size of it because we never go anywhere. Just live in Cumberland, eh? so we don't know what's going on at that time outside of the, our little community. A guy from Nebraska... He was a professor uh, in, in in Chicago, Illinois. Like he was a professor there. He had a contract with Exxon to come and check the potential for oil in that area. And then while he had a three-year contract, like and uh, and while he was there, he come to realize this big wetland. And then and 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 uh, and, and then after his three-year study. He went back to go put a, a proposal on to, just to study this delta. He was looking for a guide to work for him, and that's how I got involved. And so I ended up uh, working for this this scientist for 35 summers. And Dr. Norm Smith is his name, and then, and that's how I, I believe we found out the status of the 
and the size of the delta through him. After he started inviting other scientists from different countries to come and see the delta, yeah? and then and then that's where it started. Yeah? That's where it started. And the province didn't know, the country didn't know, till people from different parts of this world come and told us well, what we have here. So, you know, that's kind of amazing, uh, but I understand it in a sense because, you know, Canada is such a huge place. Yeah. Uh, as you know, I'm new to Canada, so I'm just exploring it myself. But I want to now talk about some of the work that, that you're doing together to uh, address some of these problems. So maybe, Graham, you could tell us about some of the things that um, you've engaged with Cumberland House on. So initially, um, we started with a project looking at the links between animals, water, and people in the Delta. And we started doing work as scientists do. Um, you know, I was asking questions about people's values and what they care about and how they prioritize things that are important to them. We got about two years into the work um, in parallel doing uh, biophysical work in the Delta, measuring water quality, um, measuring wing clips from birds. Um, to understand where the birds are originating from using isotopes. And um, and we were getting really cool results, but it's a really big place. And I think it was Gary, I'm quite sure, called us out at a meeting and said, you know, what are we going to do with all this information? You know, and we were kind of like, well, you know, typically we give presentations Sorry, at conferences. We're going to write a paper. Publish papers yeah. and, you know, write reports, et cetera. And he said, well, you know, that may be good for you guys, but how's it going to help the community? And, and, you know, so we, you know, we thought about it and he said, what we need is a plan. You know, we need a plan to respond to the impacts locally so that we can be doing something about the impacts that we are observing every day. We started off by asking people, you know, what do you want the Delta to look like in 100 years? And so they said, well, we want to see more water. We want to see, you know, sediment restored. We want to see animals. We want to see fish. And so from that, we started looking at how can we start to develop some strategies to respond to each of these individual impacts. And so the Delta Stewardship Plan was born, and uh, we have a committee of about 20 to 30 people who regularly attend meetings about every two months. You know, we wanted to see, you know, how can our evidence support this decision-making process, essentially. But the locals, you know, they're, they're, they want to see real tangible improvements in the delta can we restore some of the fisheries that we know have declined significantly and have community members monitor you know the improvements over time um, can we do restoration activities in terms of planting wild rice to restore duck populations because the duck populations are in significant decline as well so the the idea is that we are um, helping facilitate a process where local champions try out things at a sort of small scale as a pilot or a prototype. And then if it works, then we try to find a way to scale it up. Um, the, the bigger scale things that we're looking at is how do we store the sediment regime in the Delta? And that's a, that's a big project that we're working on now where we're testing the sediments um, from Lake Diefenbaker and all the reservoirs downstream to see what's in the sediment. And if it, you know, could you actually put it back in the river? What would it cost? How would the local community be involved? You know, who makes the decisions around that scale of governance? Um, so that's a, a project that Gary's a, a co-investigator on, um, co-principal investigator, I should say. And, you know, it really came from going to the community and realizing, you know, we, we have uh, our own knowledge and scientific skills, but 
we really have to work at being responsive to the things that they care about. And that makes our work better. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to follow up on this uh, uh, sediment uh, rejuvenation process. So it sounds to me like the the best way to affect that would be to dredge the sediment up from behind the dams. Is that is that what we're talking about here? Not that I mean I mean I didn't mean to sound skeptical. Just trying to understand the processes. Yeah. So it's a it's a little early to tell. There's there's different options. A more viable solution that's being done around the world is to use a slurry pipeline from, you know, the source of the sediment to where you want it to be. In this case, from Lake Diefenbaker to where you would want to start restoring the sediment, um, you know, it's a long way. It would be very expensive to build that scale of infrastructure. Um, But we do have pipelines crisscrossing the provinces for water conveyance, for oil, for natural gas. You know, we're in a kind of a pipeline debate. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could actually use a pipeline for environmental restoration? You know, put, put some people back to work in a really positive way and to restore a really critical environment. I think that's a kind of a win-win-win. Um, we're not sure yet about what is in the sediment, but we know there are um, nasty things probably in it, you know, from 50 years of industrial legacy for where these reservoirs are. But we're going to try to first find out what's in the sediment and where, and can you put it back in without treating it? Um, and then two, what would be the cost of doing that at the different scales? And really critically is how, how do the people in Cumberland House, how are they involved in this process? How do they mm. get to decide about yeah. what the best option is? Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm glad you brought that up. And so the days of the ivory tower, I think, are limited because the urgency of some of these environmental problems and problems related to, to climate change is really great. So I just wanted to say, like, congratulations to you both for working together because it it, um, is a critically important, from my perspective, a critically important partnership. But I wanted to ask you both, you know, the benefits of coming at this uh, together, you know, the scientist and the the actual community that that lives there. We brought this awareness to the the provincial government before and the federal government too. But we didn't have nothing to back us up. Even though what we've been saying is true all along, but we got no proof of anything because we don't we don't we don't have the the know how I guess yeah, to to put those, to put stuff together like that. Yeah, like, but working with you yeah, like they they have their expertise, we have our expertise and we're putting our two cents together and I think we're we're making headway by doing that. And what about you, Graham? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think a lot of scientists are coming around to the notion that, in fact, engaging with communities and doing scientific investigation where it can have an impact in the community actually just makes their work better. It, I, I don't think it draws away from their productivity. I think it just makes the work more important. I think we have a lot to learn around um, communicating clearly, and we have, in an effort to do that, we've branched out from just science communication to working with artists, um, in, and that's a that's a response to the community calling us out on PowerPoint presentations and reports and saying, you know, we don't want any more of these. We want something different, and that led us down the path of um, projects where we collaborated with uh, theater. Um, fine arts, mixed media arts, film as a way of getting the message out. And that 
has been very successful in terms of getting the scientific evidence into the hands of way more people um, in a way that they can actually use it and in a way that appeals to their whole person, not just their kind of rational mind, but to the emotional part of them as well. No, I, I understand. And so I, I, I want to say that um, I see the, the value of this partnership and I want to tell our listeners that uh, it takes a lot of courage to undertake a project like this because it's very non-traditional on the, the academic side. There is not enough uh, recognition. So I applaud both of you guys and congratulate you for working together. Uh, we've been talking with Gary Carrier from uh, Cumberland House on the Saskatchewan River Delta and Graham Strickert, professor um, in the School of Environment and Sustainability at the University of Saskatchewan. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you Thanks, for having Jay. us. And that wraps up Let's Talk About Water for this week. It's a podcast dedicated to the future of water and why you should care. If you want to hear more, subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Talk Water or on Facebook at LTAW Podcast. And if you want to find out more about the Global Institute for Water Security, head to our website, water.usask.ca. This is a podcast by the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan in collaboration with the Walrus Lab. A thanks to Mark Ferguson, Amy Hergott, Laura McFarlane, Jesse Widow, Morgan Bratton, Chelsea Laskowski, and media production at the University of Saskatchewan campus for helping put the podcast together. And to those of you who put together Becoming Water, from which you heard some snippets during the show, you can find that video on YouTube. The full title is Becoming Water, Art and Science in Conversation. I'm Jay Familietti. We'll see you next time.